So I'd invite you, he said it would be loud, um, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. We'll be starting in, I'm going to pick up in about verse 20, and then I'm going to follow through the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the water in the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of, this, of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the, air, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day would someone want to pray for the preaching of God's word anyone at all okay thank you sister Man, thank you. Um, this morning's message is really just, it's a very simple step through the, the text. Uh, no fancy outlines. It's just simply attempting to let the, the text speak for itself. But there's a couple of points that I would like to draw out because I believe, I believe one of the things that the church must have is 
folks looking out for our own benefit and our own good. And, and so part of this message comes from a great concern I have about two major cultural issues that I believe we can address in the creation account that we just read. But the very first thing that we must talk about is this creation of people. Where did people come from? Where did mankind come from? Where did humans originate? How did we get here? And we don't have to go very far. Matter of fact, just to the first chapter of the Bible in the 26th verse, and I want to repeat it. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. People are created in the image of God. And this language that we have in this 26th verse begins to set the stage for how we literally approach life. There are two points about this language, our image and in our likeness. From my understanding, and Jake was talking about divvying up the portion of, of preaching plan. Well, I, I, de- I determined that when I, what the, the bite I got was too big to even chew on. And so as I got through and I got studying, I'm like, wow, there's, there's, there's literally, I, on my limited bookshelves, I was actually thinking about bringing, there's just books after books that are this thick that are literally written by scholars on just the verse I read. Let us create man in our image. And so I, I, there's no way I'm going to do an adequate job, but pray for me that God would speak to us through his word this morning. The two things about this language is first, there's the language of majesty. Let us create man in our image after our, our likeness is the language that and, and you'll read commentators, and they will say this. This is the language of royalty. You see, royal people are never, they never use the first person singular, but they always use the plural language. We do this, and we do that, because the truth is, in their, in their royal majesty, they're too magnificent to be contained in the first person singular. And I'm not going to go into all that, but there's a lot going on with royalty across the great pond. And you can see that, and and sure enough, that's the way they they communicate. It's the language of majesty, and commentators do that. And I, I thought that's pretty impressive, though, because here it is, right in the very beginning of creation account, we have this majesty language. God is majestic, amen, and so, so should his language be. The second thing that this defines for us is it's the first indications of the Trinity, the triune God. It's the first reference. It's not the first reference. As a matter of fact, the first reference is back into the second verse. If you turn back to me, David talked about in the beginning God created. And verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. So here we see the Spirit of God. However, in 2020, we don't read this as the first, as as the people that Moses was writing to, the first account of creation was reading it. We get to do so through the lens of the New Testament. We get to read this as Christians. 
And that's we should look at the Bible from a Christian perspective. And if you want to go with me to John, and I, I won't have you flip very many more places, but just go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go to the first chapter of John. In the very first few verses, this is what the Bible says. Again, we're talking about creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John, speaking of Jesus here specifically, in verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him not anything made was made. In him was life, and there was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, John's telling us that Jesus is actually the agent of creation. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing that was made. There, nothing, not anything made that was made. So without Jesus, nothing gets made. So when we see, let us make man in our image, we not only see the language of majesty, but we see a clear indication of the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is God determining to do in this account? Through the inspired author Moses, Moses is credited to write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and so the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to write this. What is God trying to communicate? Well, primarily, I think that he's trying to communicate that we're a creature. We are created beings by a creator. There is God the creator, and we are creatures we're not self-existent meaning we are independent of something else we're owned and fashioned by God we're not independent of God but rather we are dependent creatures of God there's a creator and we are its creation we are his creation now let me give you a takeaway to try to encourage you Look around the room at every person here and let me say this very specifically to you. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake of mom and dad. You did not come from some cosmic accident. Rather, you are here because a holy God decided and determined and designed to create you. You. As a matter of fact, there is intentionality to creation. Here is the point. Here's the thing to walk out the doors with today. You were intentionally created by God on purpose. In verse 26, when we see the creation count, it says, then, meaning next step, next, next action, then God said, we're being communicated that although we're a creature, let there be no mistake, we are different than the rest of the creation that I read in the previous five verses. In actuality, the Bible's making it very clear that when God made people, he made them uniquely different than the rest of his creation. 
He talks about the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the livestock. And the Bible says in verse 26, Then God said. There are volumes written on the magnitude of this difference. And for centuries, there have been talk about what this means. But there are two aspects of the image of God that I want us to take away, Lord willing, today. So here, let me stop. There's a creator. We are his creation. You're not here by accident. You're very intentional. Your life has purpose and meaning. You bear the image of God. And what does that mean? And here it is. There are two things. If you'll notice the language of verse 26, we're just staying right here. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then immediately it says, and let them, we're going to come out, we're going to come to define who them are. Let them have dominion. One of the things that we do as bearers of the image of God is we have dominion over the rest of creation. Some of you have a translation that has rule. Others may say, some commentaries will talk about lordship. We're saying that people, humankind, in Genesis 1, now let me say this, this is pre-fall, Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind when sin comes in the world. So this is God's perfect creation. This is the way God set up business for us. This is his perfect creation plan and he says in his perfect world God gave people the ability to rule do you see ruling is not a a, 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 not because of sin dominion when someone has dominion over someone else it's not because of sin it's the way God puts order into this world in a perfect world God grants people the power over creation. He doesn't do it with plants. He didn't say it for the elephants. He didn't tell the spotted owl to have dominion. He did not even tell the bald eagle they should have dominion. But he said, let them, plural, have dominion over this creation. So people are, if you will, responsible for how creation goes under the lordship of Jesus, under the agent of creation, under God the Father. The second thing the image of God gives us, and again, I'm telling you, I have volumes for centuries people have written, is this. And I want you to think about this. Only people have the capacity to know God. Only people have the capacity to know and be in relationship with God. From the moment of our first meaning of awareness, we begin to know that we're created, and when you're created, that must mean there's a creator. I was listening to something that Dr. Al Mohler was talking about in reference to this. He's the president of Southern Seminary. And he's made this statement. He said there was an evolutionary scientist, and that's an oxymoron, by the way, 
whose research concluded that they're having a tough time convincing children of, evolution, of the evolution theory because their research suggests that, chi- that children reason that, a, that form has a maker. Do you see it? That when they, children, when they see that something is made, they intuitively say there has to be a maker. Mommy and daddy, how did we get this house? How do you get the house, folks? Someone what, Chad? Built it. Mommy and daddy, where does the car come from that we drive? Someone what? Mommy and daddy, how did I get this food? This meal that I'm eating? What do children think? Who made my meal? Mommy or daddy? I was thinking about something funny. This is a true story. It's just a Something I thought about this morning as I actually I was getting ready. I thought when I was walking the campus of, of Purdue University, I was around a bunch of people and I heard a girl say, so I heard a guy say, so let me back up. There was a, there was a big poke and fun of agricultural majors, ag majors where they were, people were making fun of them. And I was in this group. And so an ag, ag major looked at this girl and says, well, where do you think you get your food from? I'm not making it up. Guess what she says? Anybody? The supermarket. No. No, someone made it. Someone grew it. It seems, one, this evolutionary scientist says, it seems like evolution has encoded in children not to believe in evolution because it's not true. We've had the honor of seeing both little girls, little girls and little boys play. And, and Kim could tell you more stories about this. But when they play, what do they innately do? They're always doing what? They're always making things. The awareness of a creator is even in their conscience. Let me give you an example. When children run, when children do something wrong, what do they typically do? They typically go and do what? They typically go and run and hide. Could it be, Dr. Muller says, that the, the fact that children knows there's somebody watching even when they don't commit the crime suggest that there's someone watching do you know what adam and eve did we'll get there in a few weeks when they sinned against god they went and hid so even our conscience bears the image of god folks If you don't hear anything else this morning, here you bear the image of God. You're on purpose. You are not an accident. You were perfectly made by a perfect God. Yes, we we have a fallen body, but we're not accidents. The second thing that I want us to see, if the Lord would have it, is... Who are them? Verse 27. 
God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created them, created him. And then the next line in verse 27 says, male and female, he created them. The them that have dominion, the them that have the capacity to know God are male and female. Let me just very quickly say, that's the point. In creation, there's a male and female. Do you realize there's not a person preaching that would be preaching 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and actually 100 years ago that would not be making the point I'm about to make? I'm making a point about male and female because there's a war going on in our culture, and it's probably the largest issue that we've ever faced. I was initially going to make this whole sermon about this point, but God had a different plan. The concept is so huge. We'll revisit it if God wills it later in the spring when we talk about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. But here's the point. The point is there are two genders, male and female, period. Gender, or what we once called a person's sex, is under brutal assault. I believe we should be informed people looking at our world through the lens of Scripture. If you hear me say this over and over, and you say, if you're thinking, Tim, you say this all the time, good. Because I'm telling you, when you read the newspaper, you need to do so with biblical lenses. You need to read it through the lens of Scripture. I must hurry, but let me just tell you that there's a couple of stories I want to share with you that suggest the culture is saying that what the Bible says is not true. Let me give you recent events. I'm not having to go back. January 2019, New Jersey will become the fourth state to add gender-neutral option on a birth certificate behind Oregon, California, and Washington. Earlier this month, New York City enacted a law. At least three states in Washington, D.C. allow gender-neutral driver's license. This is a direct, this is a direct assault. It's a direct affront on Genesis 1:27. New Jersey residents, I'm reading the new NBC News report, says those born in the Garden State will soon have the, their choice of selecting a gender-neutral option on their birth certificate. The new law goes into effect on Friday and will include three options. Female, male, and undesignate, non-binary. Let me go on. The article says, having a gender-neutral neutral option will now give thousands of people in the state of New Jersey the power of self-identifying. Here's another illustration from Canada, March 2019. A reporter from the Federalist documented the decision by the Supreme Court of British Columbia. The court ordered that a 14-year-old girl receive testosterone injections without parental consent. The court de declared that if either of her parents referred to her by using female pronouns and addressed her by her birth name, they could be charged with family violence. Go look it up. In April of 2019, the Supreme Court of British Columbia, Canada, declared the father guilty of family violence 
for his polite refusal to refer to his daughter as a boy in private. The, chief, the justice says, Marzari says this, that Clark was convicted of family violence for his public denial of his child's gender identity. The three-page document declares that fa the father will henceforth be subject to arrest and immediately without warrant if any police officer has a reasonable grounds to believe that he is in any way referred to his daughter as a girl in public or in private. Let's return to our text. He was guilty of violence because he said that his child was a girl. Verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Notice that God did not ever do that in the other part of Genesis chapter 1. He never said the birds, although they were, and all of the fish have, and all of the livestock has, what we would consider gender or sex, God only says that he created them, male and female, and why? Because gender is the goodness of Almighty God from the beginning of time. Because binary is, is God's design and decree. He made them male and female. Why? Because we're going to study it later in Genesis chapter 2 because the rest of the story is that they should fulfill, they should do what? Be fruitful and multiply. I'm speaking to an, an adult audience. Do you know how you make babies? It takes a male and a female. Why? Because when a male and a female come together in their, in their declared gender under the, under the auspices of a marriage and they procreate, they're declaring the glory of God. Do you see that? He said, and it was very good. God could have chosen an asexual reproducing human. He didn't need male and female. He was making it up. He was creating them. He got to choose how he did it. And he said, for my glory and for their good and for all the benefit of all of humankind, I'm going to make a man and a woman. And they're going to declare my glory. Male and female. Our gender is a gift from God for his glory. I'm going to skip on. Let me just make a couple more comments. Cutting out pages. There are two sexes or genders mentioned in our text. Two and only two. Male and female. There is no confusion. Non-binary is not an option. Gender neutral is not an option. Because this. Because men, when they are men, they reveal the glory of God. And women, when they are women, they reveal the glory of God. Of God and together when they come together they reveal the glory of God they are both made in the image of God 
And we'll get to Genesis 3, and that all gets messed up. But for today's point, let me just say, aren't you glad, church? Women, let me just draw you in here. Aren't you glad God made men? Amen. Right? Seriously. Thank God. Men, aren't you glad Jordan's over there? Yeah, um, he's not even married, and he sees that there's benefit from it. <laughs> he's over there smiling ear to ear. He's, he's on college campuses. I understand, brother. I understand. Only to be that young once again. Oh, my goodness. Hey, we laugh, but that's the way it's supposed to be, right? You're supposed to see the beauty of a woman. There's nothing wrong with that. You're supposed to see the splendor of a man, his good looks, his charm, his wit, the way he takes care of you. Isn't that right? Where did we lose that? Where has that become wrong? It's become wrong because the culture attacks it. Finally, the last point. I'm going to skate through this because I want to make a conclusion point. We're mandated to be life producers. He says... In verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God created us to make life, not to live life alone. We'll see later. He says it's good. It's not good for a man to be alone. And here's what he does. He, if God creates it, it's sacred. Amen. If God created life, it's sacred. Amen. It's a gift from God. You matter. You're important. You're sacred. Life that God's given you and blessed you with is intentional. You, we've said that. Let me tell you about another culture attack on this, and then we'll conclude. So Sandy won't kill me with the kids. One of the greatest atrocities in human history, specifically American history, is the atrocity of killing unborn children. We are 47 years since the Roe v. Wade decision where this country legalized the aborting, aborting of a viable life. And according to the Guttmacher Institute, we've done that over 61 million times. God help us. I was privileged to serve on the board of Pregnancy Care Center, which is now Clarity. I was at some training one time and someone was talking and said that in any room full of women and men, the potential of someone have having an abortion is very high. And I just want to say to you, we think we know everybody. If that is you here this morning, I am not indicting you or condemning you whatsoever. We have a God who loves and who heals and who cares and who forgives but it doesn't change the fact that God is the God of life. And it's wrong from that perspective to take an innocent life. You see, when you're told that you're nothing more, when you buy into the religion of evolution, and that's what it is, if you think you're just a bunch of muck evolving into something, then it doesn't matter to you that your pregnancy is a glob, and it doesn't really matter. So here's an excerpt from January 26, 22nd 
from the acting president of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill Johnson, to CBS News. I'm going to read it as I copied it. She says, We know that if we want women to succeed in business, if we want to increase the level of participation of women at the CEO level or the C-suite level, now what she means by that is chief executive officer, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, chief operating officer. So she's saying if you want women to be in the highest positions, because that's ultimately, in her opinion, where it should go, it's incredibly important for women to be able to control their reproductive health because we know that access to controlling and planning when you will be pregnant also impacts your ability, ability to engage in the economy, end of quote, Johnson said. I don't think that's what God had in mind. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I am. I never, I, I'm the, I just stumble into stuff all the time. And I had a little girl come up to me. She's a little girl. She's younger than my girls. And she wanted to talk about her job. I don't know why I said this. But I said her name. Let me tell you the most important job that you have on the planet she just had a baby. That's the part you need to know. I said, God, I didn't know I said it this way, but this is what she told me. I said, God gave you a gift in that baby. And your most important job on this earth is to be a mommy. I walked away from her hoping not to hear from her again because she was wanting more money, I think. But I go do whatever I'm going to go do. And someone comes up to me and says, this girl is crying. I said, oh, no, what did I say? And she said, you told her that her most important job was to be a mommy. And no one had ever told her that. If we bear the image of God, and if he made all of us sitting in this room a man and woman so we could be fruitful and multiply, the most important jobs that we have is not a C-suite job. I want you all to do me a favor. Give me 20 seconds. If you've got a phone, and I know you're not going to do this, but if you have a phone, I really want you to do this. I want you to pull your phones out. Go ahead. It's okay. It's church. Pull them out. I want you to go to your cameras or your photos. Really do it. Now, some of you are going to be weird and not have this, and this is not my illustration is going to fall but start swiping through there. Do you see pictures of your kids? Do you see pictures of your grandkids? Do you see pictures of your siblings or your parents or 
your friends. Those are lives that matter. That's who God's put in your path. So I'm going to conclude. One of the most extraordinary distinctions about humans is their capacity to know God. This God of life went beyond our physical life. In Genesis 3, we all fall. Sin enters. People become defective, flawed, and marred. But God did something amazing. We call it the good news of the gospel. God provides a unique means from the cre- for the creation to restore perfect fellowship with his creation. The agent of creation would become the means of salvation. Jesus would take on the form of a man to die in our place, to take away the penalty of sin. He would be our substitute. He died in our place. The Holy Spirit that was hovering over the earth before it was formed this morning is hovering over hearts to draw you back to God the Father. How he does that is to show us that we're sinful, to convict us of our sin, and point us to Jesus. Right now, if that, if that is happening to you, what you need to do is turn away from your sin and yourself and turn to Jesus. Our response is to confess that we're lost without the Lord, place our full trust in the good news of Christ. To safely jump into our Father's arms, the loving God. Folks, let me say this to you. Dogs and cats can't do that. And although lions and tigers and bears all can point to the glory of God, they have no capacity to know God. They're just doing what they do. But God gives us an opportunity to know him as Father. Finally, most of you have made that decision to follow Jesus. You're saved. You're his child. So what about us? What's the conclusion for us? I want to go one further. We have another mandate in Matthew 28. Does anybody know what it is? It's another be fruitful and multiply mandate. Jesus said as his last mandate to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Not only do we have a unique capacity for knowing the Lord, we have the unique capacity to share it. How does people we live by, work with, and know, know that they are made in the image of God if we don't share it? So if you're saved... I want to end by saying, go and be fruitful and multiply. Some of us are doing that literally, right? And others are doing that spiritually by making disciples. Father, thank you for your patience with me this morning as we've worked, looked through your word. I pray, Lord, that something that's said that would glorify you, edify the people, encourage us to go on. Thank you, Lord, that... Sandy's up with the kids. Pray a blessing upon her for her efforts. Lord, as we come to this time here that we're going to be singing, um, 
There's some of us that have decisions to make. We've never surrendered our life to you. We need to do so. Others of us have, and now we need to go out and share it. I know that you would have your way with us this morning if we would just submit. And so, Lord, that's what I hope we do. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together the love of God.